Welcome to No Particular Hurry. I'm your host, Dave Early. Today we welcome a former editor of this site, Liberty Ballers. He's written comedy for shows like How I Met Your Mother, Trial and Error. He co-wrote a pilot about Ben Simmons called Brotherly Love that was backed by LeBron James Production Company that made it to NBC's offices, although the network opted not to move forward, devastating billions of kids around the world. Of course, you know him best for co-founding with Spike Eskin, the most popular Sixers podcast, seven years running, The Rights to Ricky Sanchez, where he's interviewed folks from Sam Hinkie to Dario Saric to Joel Embiid to Elton Brand, Robert Covington, TJ McConnell, politicians on a local and national level. He's even live hosted where he's shown off the wit and self-deprecation of a seasoned late night TV host. He's erected banners to billboards at lottery parties. The dude has literally co-led a cult-like movement of uber nerds who care about drafts and stashes, second round picks, and cash considerations. And now I'm going to talk to him about himself, his podcast, and the Sixers. Let's get it. Mike Levin. How you doing, Mike? Ah, so good. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, really happy to have you here. I've listened to you for a very long time, so it's kind of weird. I was, um, I was having an easier time coming up with questions for other people because there's less stuff to work with. Sure, sure. Also, I, I, was, I think I probably asked all, answered all the questions doing 18 podcasts a week for the last <laughs> few decades. Yeah, there's, there's so many directions to go. I feel like the way you guys have done it, uh, you get to know, maybe we don't at all, maybe it's you guys are just acting, but it does feel like you've getting, gotten to see some sort of personal evolution from people. Mm, I think, yeah. I mean, I think we're we're pretty open about like, and maybe to the detriment of the podcast, like uh, who we are and our personal lives and stuff for however much I have a personal life at this point. Um, and uh, unlike maybe some other better Sixers podcasts, we, uh, you know, are, are pretty easily dissuaded from talking about the Sixers. It doesn't take much for us to, to pivot to really anything else because for the most part, the Sixers are not a generally enjoyable group of people. <laughs> yeah, you, you said at times we, I don't know how to describe it, we don't talk a lot about the Sixers and we're often not that funny. Yeah. Why, do people, why do people listen to you guys? Like, I don't know, couldn't tell you. At this point, I think it's just sort of a uh, habit. You just sort of, once you're in long enough, I think you're just like, all right, I, I guess these are my guys. These are the, this is what I do. I listen to these idiots for one or two times a week for the rest of my life until we friggin' croak. Well, we, I get particularly excited when there's a reason for an emergency too. emergency pods are always my favorite. Yeah, then, at least there's there's some emotion behind it, and I guess I bring the emotion pretty regularly. But yeah, the, when there's a uh, something good happening, or more accurately, something bad happening, then it's like we got we got some heat behind it, which is always fun. I I think that you you embody something that's very relatable for me. How you can waffle between optimism and complete and utter pessimism at times. Hmm. Yeah. I feel it sometimes in the same sentence. Yes. And I, I think that comes through and I find it enjoyable. There's this sort of like inner turmoil. Yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, it is. Uh, Cause you want to, you, you fall for these guys, um, especially the prospects, which is what I've always uh, cared the most about. 
and you believe in the those sort of like draft evaluations and and like oh what's the perfect fit for this kind of player and if he hits his ceiling like how great would that be and so you fall for that and you want it to work out and you still believe that it will and especially this season you see like guys like shake take a real big step forward and and matisse be you know pretty much exactly what he was advertised coming out of uw and uh and some other even like you know shamit was good for t- those kinds of things. And I still have hope for Zaire, like those kinds of guys where you're like, well, I do believe in them. And I think in the right environment and the right circumstances we can, but like, it's also currently looking at, you know, looking with your eyes and, and feeling how you feel when you watch this team play, you, the mountain of pessimism is, uh, you know, you can't just overlook that uh, because of how just straight up clunky it looks all the time. And so, it's a weird balance of feeling what I'm feeling when I watch the game, but also being like, well, all those young guys that are, that are so good. And so, so much hope and, and potential. Then you'd think like, well, maybe it can work out, but it's, it is those, those definitely conflict, but for whatever reason, that's kind of how I view the team. We'll get, we'll get deeper into this. I, but we want, I want to start a little bit light. So let's, um, let's come back to that because there is a mountain of pessimism to probably unpack. And I have got some really fun quotes of yours that we can see if you still feel these things. <sighs> oh no. Um, all right. So you've been doing Ricky for what is it? Seven years now? Uh, yeah. A little over seven years. I think it was 2013 that it started. This is a stupid question, but have you ever considered how the show has evolved? Like, How's your chemistry with Spike changed over time? Or it feels like the t- you've covered the team that's the most of a roller coaster imaginable. Do you think that um, your dynamic or the show itself has changed at all? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it has. Uh, I'm sure that, and I don't do this often, once in a while for a certain reason or whatever, you go back and listen to like an old, old episode. Um, but I don't do it much, and I'm sure it sounds way more stilted and un- and less funny and all the stuff that you like get you know sharper at as you as you get older and as you get better chemistry with your your co-host. Um, you think the jokes would suck if we went back? I think so. I think there's probably some cringing moments in there that I thought <laughs> I was really funny in some ways, and it's like, yeah, Mike, we get it. Like the that joke is not. It didn't land the first six times you did it, but maybe if you just keep repeating it. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I'm sure I think that there was always, I think the reason that we started the podcast and why we kept doing it is because we are very different people and have different kinds of opinions and different ways of approaching things. Um, but sort of a mutual appreciation for what the other does well. Um, and I think just a general, like, I don't know, kind of entertaining vibe that, we can, you know, this team is, as you said, like a big roller coaster. And so uh, there's always stuff to talk about, even when there's not even basketball being played for eight months at a time or wh- whatever it was. So uh, I think something about that. And now that there's enough of like a shared history of trauma between us and sort of trying to like do as best we can to speak for the fan base. Um, I guess there is, you get, you know, the seven years in seven plus years in, you do really have a, solid handle on how these things go like it feels it i mean that's my whole i've been doing the ricky for basically my entire 
I, I mean, if we're saying like just out of college, like pretty much my entire adult life. And so like my perception of myself within this is like, I am the guy who part of me is I'm the guy who does this stupid podcast. And so I feel like it's, it's all, it's sec- second nature at this point to just like go on and talk about these fucking idiots. <laughs> and, and you've called us dumbasses for liking them too. Yeah. I mean, we're all in the same boat, man. Yeah. You know, come on. We're, you know, I started doing Liberty Ballers when I was in college and, uh, it was fun. The community and like build it. And like, I think part of, part of, you know, human existence and also just like sports and all this stuff is about like finding a community of people, whether that's in person or online and feeling like you're in it together um even through the good times and the bad and so you know there's been mostly bad but it has been enjoyable at times um and healthy i think for for us all to have a you know i think uniquely philadelphian view of of the of all four teams but like this team in particular of like how just uh how the 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 ups are fleeting and the downs are long uh, and many um but having a, a sense of humor about it has always kind of come natural to me and part of what I do and uh even most of the time it's at my own expense and our own expense because it's inherently we don't have to do this like we we super don't have to do a sixers podcast or have a sixers blog or really anything it's not making any of us rich it's just uh, something that we do because we, for whatever reason, give a shit. Um, but, you know, here we are. Well, um, so you, you said, like, my sort of adult life has become associated with this, and that's how you define yourself. But you also do some comedy writing, right? Are you doing any of that these days? Yeah, I'm on a uh, – we just finished up a new show on NBC. My writing partner, Patrick, and I, who who uh, went to North Penn, so also a Philly guy. Um, we finished up on this NBC show called Young Rock, which is uh, starring Dwayne Johnson, kind of about his life growing up um, in oh, a couple wow. different places. And uh, and so theoret- that was supposed to be out this fall, but obviously because of the pandemic, it's not. But they're shooting it um, overseas now, or starting to, about to. So that should be on sometime in the next, probably in the new year, I would guess. Um, Can you give us a sneak peek of one of your best jokes in there? No, I don't. I couldn't remember. I don't remember them. This is what we, you know. You just at a certain point, you just, you know. I had. I will say that I had in our in the draft of our episode. Everybody, everybody writes everything, but it contributes to everything. But in uh, in TV, you have especially. I, I only know the the comedy side of things, but uh, you write the first draft of your episode that's assigned to you. Um, and so, in our first draft. Uh, we, I had like a bunch of, for whatever reason, decided to like name a bunch of every like side character was named after like a temple basketball player from like the mid two thousands. And so there was like, like Lynn and Pepe, oh, Marty and, like, Collins. <laughs> yeah. Marty Shore, uh, Rashid Brokenborough. Like there's just like, for whatever reason, like, why am I doing this? Don Staley was in there. Like, why am I, what's happening here? But, uh, I, I think whenever we have, uh, at, you know, get the fortune to be able to write something or whether it's our own scripts or on somebody else, but for whatever reason, we feel like it's a inside joke kind of with ourselves that maybe some other people would appreciate of like just finding little Easter eggs for Philly sports fans to, to enjoy. Yeah. I like that. 
All right, it's more more disappointing. Markel Fultz getting the yips or the Ben Simmons brotherly love show not making it to the air? Oh, man. Well, so brotherly love was cool. Getting to do with Ben and his brother, Sean, at LeBron's company was awesome. Like, total, like, even talking about it now, it's crazy that it happened. Um, what did so the world was, miss there not getting to watch it? Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, and I said this, I think, when I finally started talking, could talk about it on the Ricky, was like, it really didn't ever have a great chance of going the way these things, uh, these things go is like, you know, they, they mostly pick up, pick up pilots from more established veteran type of people, um, that have done, that have done more of this. So this was our first, this is our first, uh, I had sold something when I was younger, but this me and Pat, like as, as like credited writers, this is the first time that we sold a pilot. And this was a couple years ago. Um, and so getting to sell it and getting paid to write it and all was, was, was very, very cool. And so there was always, you talk yourself into it at a certain point, like maybe this, maybe it's good enough. Maybe they, it could go. Um, but it really, honestly never really had a great chance. So I would, I would say Mark L. Foltz having the yips is, is more disappointing to me. I think I had more invested in that. I at least got to make some money on, uh, on this pilot and help with my career. Mark L. Foltz getting, you know, forgetting how to shoot and never working out here did much more damage to my mental health for sure. <laughs> just not a even, net loss overall. Not even close. It's, just, it's only loss. I'm in the red on that for sure. <laughs> uh, how, how have you, how do you balance your comedy writing and the Ricky? So how, what, what amount of time goes into each one? Uh, I mean, almost no amount of time goes into the Ricky and <laughs> Spike does a lot more than I do. I pretty much just, Get on the get on you the get horn. You get that and, sense when you watch. He's got like notes everywhere. He, he calls himself he manic. Sometimes we go for it. Sometimes we don't. But I, you know, I just uh, we re, you know you, you pay attention to what's going on in the Sixers universe and whether that's on Twitter, Liberty Ballers, or the Athletic, or Philly Voice, or whatever, and uh, and just get be ready to you know talk about it. So there's not much. Sometimes I write things down that I want to say, but not not a not a ton where I feel like I have to prepare for the Ricky or something, unless. You know, I have like when we've done live shows and stuff, I've prepared for for those. But generally, for two podcasts a week, it's just me doing exactly what I'm doing now with you and just like talking about whatever the hell comes to mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a it's a weird thing. Like um, as far as when I'm in a writer's room, it it is harder to kind of plan around and stuff. And when it feels like, oh, I'm kind of doing too much Sixers stuff, and it is to the detriment of my career that needs to, that sometimes has to be like a little bit of a wake up call and be like, you know what? I should maybe take a step back or mm-hmm. press pause on this for a little bit. Um, that's kind of why initially I gave up running Liberty ballers. And I think at the time gave it over to some combination of like Sean O'Connor and Jake Bavorsky and Kyle Newbeck. Um, because it was like, I should be that at that time I was still an assistant, but I was like, I should be writing about the, you know, the scripts that I'm trying to, make money on eventually and not like i think there's probably a ceiling on how far this like you know monte ellis trade rumor <laughs> gonna take me was that uh was that how i met your mother were you there at the time uh i can't remember exactly when i stopped because it was sort of like a tapering off at liberty ballers um did you ever get any jokes on that show i did i got that was my first ever that was the first show i worked on um and uh i started off as a pa a production assistant and then um became a writer's assistant for season two for season my season two but it was the final season season nine 
Um, and uh, there was a it was a very like established set of writers. A bunch of people had been there since the beginning, which is nine years, and some people had just been there for a while. So it was a very high level room. And so for the most part, like the assistants, like, you know, you're not pitching much because it's a, that, you know, they got it basically, you don't, they don't need, they're not asking for your help, but every once in a while, if you had something, you can, you know, say a little bit. And so the, my first ever joke was, um, it was the 200th episode, uh, which is a big deal. Cause most shows don't do even close to that many anymore. No. Um, and, uh, and it was, um, that was the episode where the, is the, you know, if people know the show, they know it enough. But that was the How How Your Mother Met Me episode, which uh, was uh, the one where Kristen Milioti, um, like you sort of run through her, uh, you know, relevant timeline of how like their paths almost crossed a bunch of times kind of thing um, and saw it from her end of things. Um, and so there was a, I think her, shit, I'm from, she was at, a, she was at like a different, a similar bar with her friend who played by Andrew Rannells and he was in a, one of them was in a like microeconomic or an, ec- an economics themed band. And so we were pitching on the name of the band. Um, uh, and I pitched uh radio hedge fund <laughs> and it was like, nice. it's a fine, it's a fine joke, but it was my first ever joke that got on TV. So that's why it's not, you know, not like the best joke of all time by any means, but like for the, you know, for the format and for what it was, it was like totally, it's in the totally hall of fame. Now that's it. It's in there. It's it, in it the actually, joke hall of fame. Yes. There, yeah. be, I'll be speaking about it at, at my funeral. When, when someone, I die, someone's going to be like, and that one f- totally mediocre joke that got <laughs> on the air. Somehow we can apply it to, I guess, front office situations. Yeah, that's great. That's nice. I'm glad those things dovetail nicely for sure. Yeah. Um, so tell. Do you have any vices? I know Spike will enjoy like a, a Tom Collars, a little vodka with water. Do you uh, do you partake in anything when you do a pod or beforehand? No, we 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 do a podcast either like right around dinner time on Wednesdays, my time, cause I'm in LA um, or like right when I wake up on the weekend. Uh, so I'm usually just pretty sleepy. Um, I have the only time that I've ever been aside from the live podcast when I uh, tend to have a few beers and stuff. Uh, the only time that I've been under any influence for the podcast is when I uh, injured myself at basketball because someone, uh, a guy about twice maybe more twice the size of me. Uh, I dove for a loose ball and he just landed on top of me. You hit a game uh, winner though. And I hit, that was the I've said a game winner, but I did also have to take a muscle relaxer. And so I, I was thinking about that yesterday about how, like how I've just, I've never listened to that podcast again because I, I might be just too embarrassed and maybe feel like I'm putting bad messages out to the world that like drugs are good and no, uh, abusing them was good. But I, wasn't I think, gonna... I think you said I was smushed and I hit the game winner. And I was like, what does smushed mean? <laughs> I was smushed. He totally smushed me. Like, you know, those, um, when somebody like dies on the street after like a big fall from like a, a, a large building. Yep. And they just like the outline of that body. Like that's what, that was me just like on the ground, just like laying in some odd chalk outline shape. <laughs> uh, big dude, mean dude. Wasn't very nice. At all. Yeah, uh, sounds, sounds not nice. Yeah. And and then who, so, who's your game like? Any comps? Oh, man. I really miss playing basketball a lot. Um, I really miss it a lot. My game is uh, saying negatively about myself. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close to like an MCW 
um, like an Evan Turner type. Passing uh, defense in the yeah d- defense like uh, I you could you could say I mean I think the best version of myself is like a Marcus Smart type, um, reasonably athletic for my at least for the games that I play in, uh, pretty fast, like high IQ player generally with the occasional like dumb thing. Um, but definitely not a great shooter. Um, but you pride yourself on D. So you're a I good pride myself man. on defense. That's right. So, cause you have to play D and that's why I like, I like that out of my prospects. I think I would, I would love to love- be ideally. I would love to be like a Josh or Kogi type. That would mm-hmm. be nice. So just like spot up shooting, like trust, you can trust me from there. Like Gary Harris type of thing. I, I have a little bit OG more. And Unibi. What was that? I know you love OG and Nunaby. I do. I do love OG. He's he he's great. I'm that. not that big. I'm I'm like I'm I'm just under six foot. You, I would probably be listed at like a six one, but I'm I really am not. Um, but yeah, I, uh, defense, uh, creation, some finishing around the rim, craftiness. Uh, but I mostly passing. My writing partner is a, is a real Patty Mills type. So that works out for us because he's oh, flying nice. around there and I'm just passing to him for, for the shot, for shots. All right. I have a quote here by you. Oh boy. I, th- I think that's part of my identity. I think there are groups of people and fans specifically who will ride for their team no matter what. And I take pride in not doing that and holding them accountable. I care about these idiots and I'll exercise my right. I kind of like that. I, th- I can't remember. You might've said that to a side D you had on. Um, sure. so it was, it was kind of meta, mm. meta Ricky stuff. And you were definitely giving it to us and part of your identity. And there's groups of people and fans will ride or die, but you, you want to hold them accountable. And that comes into play now when you say behead them all death by paper cuts, death by Achilles, fire the chefs, <laughs> fire, fire the chefs for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I've just never been a guy and maybe I wasn't, I was a kid. I don't know. But like, there's, I think groups of fan bases that are just like, you know, say they're, they're like a, I don't know, a Pacers fan and like a Rockets fan or whatever. And they're like, no, your team sucks or your team sucks, whatever. It's like, that just doesn't, they're not, we're not talking about us, you know, like I have no bearing on it, um, on whether the Sixers are good or not. So I don't feel if someone says the Sixers suck, like I don't feel insulted by that i guess because i'm like yeah they do like i i just think philadelphia generally and i guess that our group of folks more specifically there's it's it's okay and should be encouraged to have a level of skepticism of being bullshitted by these people and i think about that with politics locally nationally and also, you know, even like TV shows and stuff as a, you know, when I didn't watch Lost Live, but uh, I became a fan of it later. And obviously I was aware of the conversation around Lost as it was happening. And like, it's a little bit different because there's only so much you can do and you don't want to lie about stuff. But like when they're like, no, no, it's not, it's not purgatory or it's not this, we promise. And then they're like, well, it was, I guess we lied. Like, it's the same thing. It's like, no, no, no we believe in. This, we're going to take a hard look at this front office. And so you have to trust us because we have this, we really want this team to be good. And ultimately like, ah, we just don't give a shit. We just don't, we don't care. We're, uh, everybody is pretty happy here because everyone wants to keep their jobs. And, you know, Scott O'Neill is fine. Like pulling the strings behind the curtain. And it's just like, 
I don't think that they, just because we are from Philadelphia and find some level of pride with this team and wanting this team to do well, doesn't mean we have to just support every decision that they make and, and believe the, you know, slop of bullshit that they're ladling in front of us. Yeah. And, and it does feel like there's been quite a few slops of bullshit, doesn't there lately? Yeah. I mean, for, for a while, man, I mean, I, even as far back as the Bynum stuff, when it was like every, you know, couple, every couple weeks, it was like, here's another update. Just like a little bit. He's fine. Just a couple more weeks, any minute now. And then, you know, they've, I think when Hinky came over, it was like, Embiid's out for the year. He's out for the year because we're not going to rush him back. Okay, he's out for another year. That sucked. Okay, Simmons, yeah, he's out for the year too. And so it's just it, it it makes it easier to swallow when you're when you feel like you're not trying to be played, and it's mm-hmm. for so much of like when I don't know corporations are talking to us. I can't. I include the Sixers as like a corporation. It feels like they're just trying to pull the wool over our eyes. Like there's a um there's a a casino out here that these their commercials run all the time about like how so safe it is inside to come in with masks on like oh man god it's so safe we are we have your interest in mind you're the only thing we care about it's like no you want to fucking make money and it's probably not that safe why would we trust you you're full of shit so like that that kind of thing and so i just i feel like i it is it is good and kind of the way i try to approach things to have just like a healthy amount of skepticism well not just being an asshole to be an asshole but like be like that's probably you want you want me to believe that you know uh you interviewed 75 candidates for the job but like it's clear that you didn't it's clear that you didn't so i why why would i i'm not i refuse to eat your bullshit you said uh we don't even know who we care about anymore with this team is that a feeling that you feel now like i'm not sure why i care so much hmm um no, I, I think when I'm when I'm really upset about, and I don't know why I get so upset. I wish I didn't. I wish I could care less, but I do care a lot, um, and I want these guys to succeed, and I want them to succeed on like a, in like a healthy, uh, cohesive type of way, um, through like you know, building through the draft and making smart, sound decisions. And I mean, even you look at the Phillies who are frustrating on their on their own right. Like the fact that they have uh, four or five start uh, first round picks that they've taken over the last like seven or so years currently playing in tonight's lineup. Like that's cool. That's cool that Aaron Nola like was developed and, and, and came up through the system and is great. And Alec Bohm and Mickey Moniak and those kinds of guys, JP Crawford before he got traded. Like it's that's you, you want to feel like you're on this journey with those guys. And, and I, um, I feel that with with some of the Sixers young guys, and I obviously feel it with Joel, um, who embodies uh, the good and bad of this city and of of following sports and caring about like teams when they're bad and when they don't care about you. Um, so I definitely care about a lot of these folks. There's a bunch of players on the team that I don't care about that are just sort of like you know journeymen coming through, passing through that are eventually going to be gone, but. I feel like uh, it's easy to when I'm when I'm just like throwing my hands up and pissed about the whole thing. It's easy to sort of call it a day, but I think I think when I have a 
a little moment to put some clothes on and and get up off the ground i i realized that like you know there's this i'm invested i'm invested there's no way that i would care this much if i wasn't invested all right well I, i'm listening to your pod with helen jim which was an incredible one by the way um and i see what you mean how you you start to understand the dynamic you have with spike because i think you threw him like this nice dime you were like spike this is what you're best at and he went on a rant about the new arena and what it might do to the city of Philadelphia from a, you know, tax perspective, things that I wouldn't have thought about on my own. And I'm starting to get emotional and angry and mad at the Sixers. And, you know, after like a glass of wine, I'm like, what if, what if they hire someone new who came in and traded both Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, just make it up. Just say they sent them to like the nuggets for Jokic and Murray. What team would you root for then? Yeah, it'd be tough. I mean, it's tough to tough to know what that would look like. If it's especially if if Embiid and and Ben are still together somewhere else, which would be very odd. Uh, it'd be hard not to root for them as well. But I think I I think I talk a big game about like abandoning the Sixers and about uh you know only caring about these guys. But while I'm not uh only rooting for uh, laundry. I'm also not like not doing that. You know, there's something it, about it, it's beyond the process and it's beyond these current players. It's, is it the city? Is it the franchise? I don't know. I mean, I think if they traded both Ben and Embiid, I think that'd be really tough to come back from that. That would be tough to, it would take some time for the, um, you know, what they got back and, and what the sort of before the, like, um, I'm I'm so bad at metaphor. Before the like dust settles or the uh, molten lava like calcifies or whatever it is, before it's like okay, these are our guys. Prior, where before it's like who are these people? They're just wearing Sixers jerseys, like so you know, it's like Hakeem Olajuwon in a Raptors jersey. Like, mm-hmm. It's just like that doesn't. It's not. It's wrong. It's not right. And it just takes time to to get used to it and to to invent and to build the sense of all right, these are our guys. If they traded both to be tough. If they traded one, which I don't want them to, uh, you'd be able to deal with it more, especially if it was a good trade that seemed to actually help the team. I still, I still think the best version of this team and the most satisfying version of this team is making it work with Ben and Joe. Although um, you did say you would have, uh, you might have kept Jimmy Butler and then traded Ben. Yeah, I mean, as far as you know, if I take off the um, sort of sentimental part of myself, um, because I would love. Ben and Joel to work together. Certainly, the way that Jimmy has played in the playoffs and and how close Jimmy and Joel were and remain, it's tough to to not think that um, that would have been a better fit for you know now and probably the next year or two uh, before Jimmy declines. But um, it's hard it's hard to make that call. I don't I don't begrudge, begrudge them for make for not making that call. I do begrudge them for saying, okay, we're picking Ben over Jimmy, but let's not try to get a Jimmy type player or enough shooting. Let's just continue to like clog the lane more and more, which is just a inexplicable choice. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs 
can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Couldn't, couldn't, you, couldn't you have uh, punted down the road and just offered them both a max? I mean, I, it, my impression, and this might be wrong, but people, people claim that the Sixers were prepared to offer him the max. And it was kind of a mutually, neither of us want this, right? And the Sixers were wrong for that. But I don't think Jimmy was like, you know, sitting with his legs folded, just like waiting for the Sixers to come with the offer. And he like stood them up at a date. You know what I mean? I think, yeah, I think let's it, say that's true. Let's say that was kind of mutual, but if they had, let's just say they rolled out the complete red carpet and Jimmy signs it. Do you think there's any chance that Ben says, I'm going to be one of the first guys to play for 8 million, take your 150 and go uh, stuff it. And then like played out the year. No, I, I think he would have, uh, I, I say this with no knowledge, right, right. inside knowledge, but I, I think he still would have taken it. There's no way you pass up that kind of money for, uh, for uh, the uncertainty of it. But I think behind the scenes, there probably would have been a lot more um, clutch under. Yeah, whether it's clutch shadowy. or yeah. or just Jimmy's guys or resentment or whatever. I think if J- Jimmy stayed, almost certainly Brett would have gotten fired last year instead um which i guess would have been fine they certainly didn't weren't like tied to brett for any it's not like they chose brett over jimmy that's certainly not what happened there seems to be like a, a narrative out there that it was but it's like that's they've they announced like during the raptor series that brett was gonna get fired if they didn't win <laughs> they were like please we were dying to fire this guy yeah and then like Embiid pushed back and they're like okay um but yeah i think i i I agree. I think if if they keep, I mean, they probably would have let Tobias walk in that situation, which would have been fine. But if you do, if you let, if it's Ben, Jimmy, and uh, Joel, and just like I don't know, JJ and Boyan Bogdanovich, like that's a pretty good team. They could have done that. Yeah, damn good team. Yeah. Do you think Ben Simmons has the yips? Uh, no. I think it's different. I think. Uh, I think full. I think it's like a the yips are like a broad sort of way to feel. Like Fultz, when he shoots, it's like you can see him not be right. And Simmons, I think it's more of a I'm choosing not to do this. More of a physical issue, you mean? Like something's that's with with Fultz. I think. I think yeah, with, no. with Simmons is more like it, it just has. He has to. It's sort of being like, hey, does someone who like procrastinate all the time and never really like puts the work in and just kind of like cobbles something together at the last minute. Like 
does that person have the yips? It's like, no, I think they're just like not really committing to it. And I think he just needs to commit to, you know, being a guy who I'm not asking him to be Covington or anything, but when the ball gets swung to him as he's spacing the floor, just, just be got to be able to take that shot. Um, but you see those videos where he's taking some in high school and it doesn't look that bad, like his elbows further in. So I wonder if, like, did something change in his shot and now he doesn't want to do it at all because of that? Maybe. I don't know. I will say that in the, I don't think it's that, it's, it's, a, it's such a bizarre thing. It's hard to, you know, as Sixers fans, we've uh, had to endure so many just odd illnesses and being uh, players that are un- unwilling or unable to do seemingly normal basketball things. Um, so it's hard to speculate why one thing was whatever or what what part of Zaire's esophagus inflamed when he had the sesame or anything like that. Um, so I don't know. I do think Simmons is still really good, even even without a jumper. Um, I don't oh, know. He is no doubt. He's a superstar. In my yeah, opinion. I just i i wish I wish it was easier for everybody. I wish everybody was just yeah. kind of on the same page of like, well, we can do this. We can, Embiid can get his conditioning under under control, and Simmons can shoot a normal jump shot sometimes, and. All that stuff seems fine, right? It doesn't. It's not that hard to ask, but it's for whatever reason, there's been a curse, a hex put upon this organization that we must. Uh, That's all endure. sort of inexplicably intertwined with the medical staff, right? I think always, yeah. I think you were kind of frustrated with it after the sweep because they let Tobias Harris go in, and you were like, you know, how could they have done that? It was almost certainly a concussion. Why do you think this team has had such trouble with the medical staff, even when they changed some names? Like Embiid played with the torn meniscus, Okafor played with one, Toby went back in, there's knee tendonitis. It seems like a consistent weakness for them no matter what, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I would say with Tobias, it was the game four of the playoffs. They were about to go. I think he just himself just willed it over the edge and you sort of probably he was walking back to the bench and you were going to have to like physically restrain him from playing. I think he's a prideful guy and I think he just wanted to play. So that, that I think is Carson Wentz would have too. They don't let him back. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I'm not involved in those conversations, so I, I, I straight up don't know, but, uh, I'm not sure. I think maybe it's Brett, maybe it's, uh, you know, they've been in this position the Phillies have where uh, they associate the Phillies. The Sixers have been in these kind of desperate spots yeah. where, you know, teams like Toronto or other teams have had like, there's not just, Oh, if this person goes, then we're done for a while. Like there's been, you know, the Sixers have depended on Embiid so much that when he's not there, they are somewhat helpless, pretty helpless defensively um, because their whole defense is anchored by him and, and at times also helpless offensively because they don't have enough guys who can get to the line. Um, maybe with Tobias, they're like, we don't have anybody that can, especially without Ben, anybody that can generate offense 
and or like shoot really and so it's like whether that's brett or the training staff or elton or tobias or whoever it was deciding like i need to go back in or we're fucked they obviously lost anyway but um yeah it's just a i think if i think if they were a, a, a more holistically built team they wouldn't have to you know roll the dice on health stuff as much as they do yeah um, all right, so we got some news today. I'm not sure when we'll get this out. It might take us a day or two, but so this could be moot. But there was a report by Keith Pompey of the Philly Inquirer. A couple names that are president of basketball operations, Neil O'Shea, Danny Ferry, who you'll remember was like in final running at some point other than Colangelo, I think, wasn't he? Um, theoretically, he was one of the 75. He was theoretically one of the 75, but... Um, I was reading tanking to the top and it sounds like that those conversations went on and on and they never finalized anything, but he was a Spurs guy. So they really thought about him, which makes seeing his name now, at least like, all right, maybe, um, any thoughts on these guys and these names? He, I think he said that Daryl Morey and Bob Myers would not be interested. Big surprise. Hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what's going on. I have no idea. Uh, Elton comes out and says, we're, you know, taking a serious look and really evaluating things. Um, I don't think Josh Harris has spoken to the media. Um, he should be embarrassed. Scott O'Neill should be embarrassed. All these guys should feel like their jobs are on the line. If I was Josh Harris, I would clean house and, and start interviewing presidents of basketball operations that would look at, you know, not have any baggage to what currently is there. Like there's feels like there's so much, so much just a mess of like, well, we're pot committed to this guy. So we have to, and we can't that like, we can't admit that we were wrong to do that. So we have to keep doing this. And it just like kind of tying their you own hands behind their back. Some cost. I think, I think a lot of it, I think, I think it's sunk cost. And I think it's a lot of it is just like all these guys are out there trying to just save their reputations and deflect blame. Really that's most of what the front office does is like stab each other in the back through the media and sort of ultimately, you know, try to find one person that can be the scapegoat that could go down for, you know, their (laughs) crimes against humanity of basketball. (laughs) And, uh, and Josh Harris seems to like trust them enough for some reason that, uh, they're all still employed, and uh, are, they the, are they the most charismatic and charming people imaginable? As like I, Alex mi- they might be, man. I don't know. I don't know. Josh Harris seems like a weird guy. He doesn't seem like he's that charming. So maybe he's easily talked into stuff, or maybe he's easily he knows he's not a basketball guy, so he's easily sort of pushed around into like, no, no, we got this, we got this, we feel good. Um, but I don't know how you can look at if you're Josh Harris, and maybe he's just looking at the money, which like, go for it, man. You're making money out of it great it's a pandemic you're getting rich like i hope you i hope that extra couple billion really helped um you mentioned that go ahead oh i was gonna say but maybe uh if you're if you're not looking at it just in the in the money sense if you're looking at it in the um what was this team looking like in 2017 2016 when hinky left and what do they look like now how much how much in the way of assets do they have now versus what they had then and 
how the offense looks and how the defense, all this stuff. It's hard to justify keeping Brian Colangelo's team intact. And yet that's what they seem to be doing. Uh, sort of supervised by Scott O'Neill, who now runs the devils as well. I don't know hockey, so I, I don't pretend to know how the devils are doing, but I would imagine he's fucking them up too. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how you can look at that and not be like, man, what a fuck. Who let me do this? We are, we have a lot of money invested in these guys. There's, there's certainly, I'm spending a lot of time on the Sixers. I'm Josh Harris. I, I could have my pick. At, I mean, even just when, after Bernigate, when Colangelo left and they're not for them to not just be like, well, that didn't work. Let's just get these guys out of here and start a new front office. But they were like, no, we love the things that are intact. We love them so much. It's an all-star team. It's an all-star team. We want to keep everybody. Although they didn't keep Mark Eversley. He, he left shortly after. Um, well, he got, he got chosen to leave. Yeah. To Chicago. Both wanted him. Yeah. Um, but it's, I, I don't know how you, I don't know how you can do that. I don't know how, how you can see that, that, that the, the solution is more of this guy, more of all these people that have gotten us into the situation. The, I, it I don't, certainly I don't reminds know. me of the, the inexplicable loyalty that James Dolan shows to his terrible um, team managers. Um, so, but it's kind of messy, right? Like Scott O'Neill, he came from the Knicks. He had a bad GM slash business guy rep there by pushing for the mellow trade. Um, so he's had a voice in another organization before and it has not worked out. Ned Cohen is from the NBA office. I think you called, you joked that Ned Cohen is a plant from the commissioner. Do you think it's possibly any truth to stuff like that? Like, no, I think, I think Spike said that. I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think that Ned is that. I think Scott is that Scott used to work for the, uh, for Adam Silver in the front and the NBA league office. Yeah, no, Ned did as well. So I think, but I think Ned seems to be more of an analytical minded, like how to get the edge on stuff. Whereas Scott is just a, just a businessman. Like he, he thinks he's a basketball guy. He's not. Um, he thinks he should be able to run the basketball and, and business side of things. And that in fact, like selling p- patches on jerseys is a, is a real window into like how players would mesh. And he's, he's the guy to do that. Um, but he's wrong and we're fucked because of it. Um, and that's uh, pretty disheartening that his only experience prior to that was like running the Knicks and being like, well, that it sucks. Everyone knows the Knicks suck. If you talk to any basketball fan, they will tell you, yeah, the Knicks suck. And it's like, we're going to go get the Knicks guy. <laughs> and let him do this. And now the Sixers, you could look at them and be like, well, Sixers are an embarrassment. Like, what's the constant? It's Scott O'Neill. Like, inexplicable. Inexplicable stuff. Uh, and you I think broke about a all scoop. The time. You broke a scoop that some of these guys have maybe given a promise in the draft at pick 34. That is what I heard. I heard I heard that they promised somebody. Um, do you know who? What's up? Do you know who? I do. I'm, I was, I'm not allowed to say, but it's not a... Uh, can he dribble? Can he shoot? Regardless, regardless, it's just not something you should be doing. Like, you know, like it is not no matter even if you're even if it's somebody I like, it's not I'll say it's not somebody I hate, but it's not somebody it, even if it was somebody I loved, it's still like we didn't even know when the draft was happening and you're already like being like, "Well, we have this guy and we're not going to let him work out for anybody else and we're going to lock it down." And it just feels like just feels like laziness. It feels like laziness and telegraphing stuff and first, and they shouldn't have jobs. Like they just, they have not done enough like 
they have not this is a, a very competitive industry the nba which you know anybody would know that and if you do bad if you're a player and you shoot like 11% from the field no one's going to sign you but inexplicably the sixers front office can shoot 11% on decisions and everybody gets to keep their job like it shouldn't <laughs> be that way it's not a meritocracy it should be it totally isn't these people are not our friends i think i think this is a quote they kept Brian's friend so they could have another human punching bag. These shadowy dickheads insist on passing the blame to everyone. Who is who is getting the blame here? I mean, I think they were wanted to they want to put it on Brett, I think. Yeah. I think they want to say that, hey, this guy just didn't work. And he, you know, he was a great coach during the rebuild, and everybody likes Brett. He's such a charismatic guy. Um and it just uh it, I mean, they're wrong. Like the he, they did not. You look at the the offense that they ran with Ben and Embiid and like Covington, JJ, and Dario, and like that was the best lineup in the league. Like that's the best lineup in the league. Were there problems there in the playoffs? Even though that was Ben's rookie year, like in the playoffs, were you going to run into issues of well, how how are you going to get a bucket at the end of a game when the defense tightens up? Sure, yeah, I think there's a absolutely a version where you need to add to that and find a guy who can get to the line, get fouled, you know, do, do something that, you know, basically Jimmy Butler does or those kinds of players can, that can manufacture their own stuff. But that, but the way that they have transformed that team into a different team and said like, well, Brett fucked it up. It's like, no, you fucked it up. Like very clearly you fucked it up. And so I think they're just expecting people to not be paying attention and to be like eating their bullshit and, uh, maybe they just don't care. Maybe they just need to like hold on for long enough and until the like you know oh the draft's already coming up. I guess we'll just keep these guys for another year and give them pay them however much they fucking make to continue running the franchise into the ground. Yeah, yeah. All right, I got two more, and then we'll let you go watch the game tonight. Um, the we're talking about the championship level version of Joel Embiid, and I think you describe it as you know completely locks down the defense offensively not as much sets a bunch of hard screens maybe a bunch of offensive rebounds and an occasional post up um tell me why you see sort of less post ups and less isos on the highest ceiling of the team for joel i think there's a way to i mean he's he's already posting up the most in the league he's also uh among like qualified guys the most efficient at it um but it's a lot. He does a lot. And I think it tires him out. And I think it uh, is not the way to be like the most efficient as a team. Um, you look at all the teams that are in the conference finals and even into the second round. And there's just like is not a lot of slow post heavy offense. I think Joel's most important role is locking down the defense. And so if you, if you can use him as a, uh, I would love to see him improve as a role man. Would love to see him improve as a passer. He's shown flashes, but I think he has a lot, a long way to go from turning the ball over in the post and being able to kick it out to shooters. Obviously that is dependent on having shooters around him that he trusts. <laughs> and Yeah. He'd look better. There's all these sort of uh, feedback loops happening. Exactly. Um, but I think ultimately 
he's got to figure. I think he's got to take more threes. I think he's got to get better shooting threes. He's not bad. He's a. If you look at him and Jokic, they're like career numbers from three. Like they're not that far off from each other. Jokic, the book on Jokic is that he's a better shooter, but it's not by much. And so I would love to see Joel be willing to take those shots more, um, and then pick his spots in the post more often. So he doesn't have to just like every time down, just like take a beating down there. Um, but still get to the line and, and be able to get him a little bit more moving in space and a little bit more like quick decisions. Because I think, I think in the current NBA, like everybody talks about shooting um, or even like ISO play, but I think the, you watch good teams play basketball that play with well with each other. And the thing that is constant is that they're, they pass really well. Yeah. And that they make, they make quick decisions and get the ball out of their hands. And it's not just dribbling the air out of it and just like waiting on it. And other people are standing around. I yeah. think it, I think it needs to be like movement and fluidity and, uh, just finding guys in space and having the area to operate, whether that's in the, in the mid range or going at the rim or, uh, you know, pick and pops on the outside. Like, I would love to just see like a quicker pace and a more cohesive uh, unit. And so for for Joel, who who does like the post up, I don't mind him doing that. I'd rather just like get him the ball quicker so he can make a quick move on that without having to waste all the shot clock or like immediately quick quick kick out to to a shooter or to a cutter underneath or down the lane. Like there's so much of that, and you watch you, know, you watch what Jokic does. It's it's very useful. Like I'm not saying he's ever going to be a Jokic uh, type passer, but there's ways to unlock more of that and, and make the offense feel a little bit more uh, dynamic than just, well, he's, he's an efficient post-up player. So that means we just have to give it to him this many times per game, kind of in the same spot. And he's got a battle for position and all this stuff. I think there's, I think there's ways for the front office and for the coaching staff to make things way easier on Joel. And part of that would obviously be Ben shooting and Tobias being more willing to shoot quicker and not just sort of like, like clomp his way into like a, a step back 19 footer. Um, he does clomp, doesn't he? He definitely does. Uh, I think there's ways to do it. And I, w- I would love to see. And, and also part of that is Joel getting in better shape. Like there's it's it's as always with this team, like it's not it's not one thing. Like it's so many things all at once working in tandem to be like the worst case scenario with this team it's every single thing is going wrong all at once and it's like well it's this fault but it's also all those other things and if we can like just sort of like you know naturally organically make things easier on everybody it would be a more pleasant viewing experience for us all all right on a lighter note what kind of pies has Alyssa been making Oh, she made hasn't honestly hasn't in a while. We've been going through waves of depression, which is very fun for everyone. So there's, the, you know, there's high, highs and lows, just like the Sixers. <laughs> uh, she made a really good uh, cherry pie uh, and a peach pie. I'm a, I'm like a berry type of type of guy. I'm a big fan of that. So she she made some good and some really good crust, uh, which I was impressed by. And some some of it was actually gluten free, which is good because we are we have some allergies here. So. Um, She's, she, you know, we're trying to just stay sane in this one bedroom apartment and uh, while the, the whole state is on fire and all that stuff. It's a, t- it's a tough time for us all and can always count on the Sixers to, you know, make it worse. At least there's a wonderful distraction in Philadelphia for you. That's right. That's right. All right. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. 
enjoy the games tonight. Love to have you. We're all big fans of the show. And then, of course, any Liberty Ballers alum always uh, make us proud. Yeah, of course, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on and uh, you guys carrying the torch for the uh, next generation of people uh, shit posting about the Sixers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll do what we can here. Uh, Do you want to plug anything before we go? Um, Rice Ricky Sanchez, man. Uh, you guys got a good thing going on there. We we're still we're still doing this thing twice a week, and uh, I'm sure we'll hit the off season with a, a pleasant mix of uh, odd guests and draft prep, and uh, hopefully some trade talk and some firing the front office uh, news. And we'll we'll just have to see what this team has in store for us because it's always something. If anyone missed it, uh, Mike asked some amazing questions of Daryl Morey not long ago I listened to. So go catch up on that one. Uh, and Helen Jim was so good too. Yeah, fun, gu- fun guest for sure. Good, yeah. good, interesting, uh, odd group of guests during this uh, very strange time for our, our country and team and everybody. Yeah, it is. All right, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks again. Thank you, bro. All right.